I'm going to invite you, if you have God's word, that you uh, go with me to the book of Acts. And, of course, you know, we're talking about the shrewd steward, right? We're talking about stewardship. And so as we think about this idea of stewardship, I want to just kind of, you know, peer through the, the window of time, so to speak, and go back to the early church. And I, I love history, by the way. Anybody else love history? I love history because it just kind of, it's like this portal of time that you can just kind of feel yourself, almost see yourself there with them and those people experiencing what they're experiencing as we understand history. And that's what's happening as we go to Acts chapter 2, because it's the beginning of the early church. And as you jump into Acts chapter 1, before you get to chapter 2, you see they get organized. They present themselves kind of in a spirit of unity because they're becoming community, you know, as the body of Christ. And then, oh, what happens? You remember what happens is that Peter preaches and the spirit of God falls down upon them. And the spirit pours himself upon, you know, what, 3,000. And just like the spirit came and fell down upon the disciples, But then in chapter 2, so that's chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, we kind of turn towards the follow-through. I mean, this is really what we call maintenance mode. What does it look like? I mean, if we're being the church, what does maintenance mode look like in the day-in and day-out basis of living life and living like believers? And so we get a glimpse of that here in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. So if you have God's word, I invite you to follow along with me this morning as we just kind of get a glimpse again of what that early church was like on the day-in and day-out basis. So we go to verse 42, chapter 2 of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. At, at that point, I'm, I'm reminded, I was reading this this morning, and I'm reminded of this thing that my parents used to do when we attended the Nazarene Church many years ago in Baker City, Oregon. After the service on Sunday night, Mom and Dad would invite several couples to come to the house, and, uh, and Mom would not only you know fix some kind of food, but the couples would bring with them, get this now, this is true, they would bring with them these game boards called aggravation. Anybody ever play aggravation? Do you know what I'm talking about? How about Trouble, the Pop-O-Matic game Trouble? And so, you know, you, what happens, you're killing each other and you're rolling the dice. And it's very emotional, right? Because you think you're going to win and then you get sent back home. And so they bring these boards, which aggravation is like Trouble. They'd bring the aggravation boards of the Trouble Pop-O-Matic game. And there'd be like seven or eight couples. And they'd have these aggravation tournaments on Sunday night after church. And it was fun. The kids would run around and the adults are playing the aggravation game. And, and of course, they're getting emotional and they're yelling and screaming and, you know, doing all these unholy things. And then on Sunday, the next Sunday morning, we go to verse 7. What are they doing? They're back to praising and worshiping the Lord together. I mean, I love it. Because it was about being the community and the body of Christ. Not just because they were having fun, but because they were beginning to bond together and they're beginning to learn what it meant to live within community. In fact, we come to this passage again, verse 47, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And then what happens? We read here, the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Now, let's do a little bit of exegesis. Go to verse 42. And in verse 42, we see right out of the starting gate there, we see what? That they devoted themselves they devoted themselves, which means that they, they put effort out. It means that they, they made it a priority to give specific time to some specific things. So look at the passage here. And what were they doing? They were learning. 
They were studying the word of God together like we're doing this morning. And and they were becoming the body of Christ, enjoying the fellowship of the Lord together. And they were learning what it meant to be a community as we are learning what it means to be a community in the body of Christ. They were what? They were remembering the death and the resurrection of Christ. They were remembering by breaking bread together. It says there in their homes. And, And then they were talking with God And talking with each other, yes, and becoming one together, but also there is that prayer and supplication dynamic that they're in prayer and they're talking with the Lord and enjoying the presence of the Lord as we're enjoying his presence this morning. Man, these are foundational ideas that we see that the early church were experiencing together as they were gathering and learning what it meant to be a community of Christ. And then we go to verse 43, and then there are the wonders and the signs. And I need to say this, that the wonders and the signs, they they can be supernatural because God is a supernatural God. Amen. And that God can, you know, work supernaturally. And I've seen God supernaturally and miraculously touch somebody and heal somebody. But sometimes God works in supernatural circumstances because, you know, somebody that knows somebody and they know a doctor that they tell you about. And because that somebody told them and you come to find out that that's the only doctor in the whole metropolitan area that knows what it is that you need them to know. And so they are the blessing that God pours out upon you. And so it's supernatural how God works. And it was just with breathing a prayer. God works supernaturally like that. I uh, Thursday I had. um, or no, it was Friday. I had I'd went out to grab some breakfast up at a place called the Trails Cafe, and I'd taken my iPad with me into the restaurant there. And then afterwards, I wanted to go next door to the Ace Hardware and buy a few two by fours, three two by fours. And so I'd taken my iPad there with me, and I'd finished my breakfast, and I went into the hardware store. And uh, I had uh, picked up three two by fours and I put them on one of those carts that you find at, at, at Home Depot, you know, one of those metal carts that you can lay the boards on. Right. And so I, I laid the boards on this metal cart and then I sat my iPad down on the metal cart because I wanted to handle the wood. And I thought to myself, when I unload the wood, I'll look down, and I'll see the iPad. Right. And so I set the iPad down on my card and I got the boards on the card and, you know, I came up to the register and I paid for my wood. And the young man there noticed my iPad was on the cart and that it was mine. And, and so I left the store and I went tooling to my truck out in the back of the parking lot there. And I, I got to my truck, unloaded the wood, jumped in my truck and drove home and got out and was unloading the wood and noticed that I had not put my iPad in the truck And I'm talking about this iPad right here with all my sermons and all my files and all my family pictures. And so I jumped back in my truck and now my heart's kind of going like this because it's a big deal, this iPad. And so I I get back to the hardware store and I go in the front door there and I say to the young man, I said, man, did I leave my iPad on the cart? And he said, you know, I saw your iPad when you left, but your iPad was not on the cart when you brought the cart back in. And so I thought to myself, I thought, well, I, I must have vibrated off the cart in the parking lot. And so I had in my mind now it smashed and somebody's ran over it. And so I went back into the parking lot and I walked up the aisle that I walked up coming back to my truck when I was pushing my wood to the truck. And I, I walked up that aisle and I'm looking, you know, at the road there or the parking lot and underneath the cars. And I'm trying to find the iPad. And now I'm just really downcast because there's no iPad. I couldn't find my iPad. And so as I was looking at that parking lot, I thought to myself, where could the iPad be? 
And then I remembered the restaurant. I thought, well, most of the cars are here because they're, you know, buying food or eating at the restaurant. Maybe somebody, you know, took it into the restaurant. And so as I was walking back to the restaurant to ask them if they'd seen the iPad, I said, Lord, I said, you know, I really need this iPad. I want to glorify you with it. Lord, would you would you help me find this app, iPad? I mean, I just breathed a, a prayer real quick. And I went to the restaurant there and I asked a young lady about 20 years of age. And I said, um, you know, did anybody turn in an iPad? And she said, no, no. Well, first she says, what? <laughs> and so I kind of repeated. I said, an iPad it has a black cover. Did anybody turn in an iPad? And, I, and she said, no, nobody turned in an iPad. And so now I'm really downcast. I'm sad because, you know, it's gone. Somebody's picked it up. And I turn to walk out the door. And just as I get there at the threshold of the door, there is a mother with two teenagers. And she says, sir, sir. She was sitting in chairs waiting to be seated. And she said, sir. And I turn and I look. She said, somebody did bring in an iPad. And so I turned back to the little reception girl and I said, uh, you know, this precious lady here said that somebody really did turn an iPad. And, and so she says, oh, and so she turned and she went to get the manager. And sure enough, the manager had received an iPad. It was this iPad and she had it in the office. And so I'm thinking, you know, I just I just breathed a prayer. I just breathed a prayer, you know, that God would would show me, help me find my iPad. And I look at this passage and I think about signs and wonders. That God even hears the smallest of prayers that we pray and that we breathe when we say, Lord, help me find my iPad. And so we look at this and we recognize, you know, then in verse 44 that, that they are together. Back to the, the passage, look at verse 44. It says that, that they are together, which can mean that we're all together in one place, you know, that we're gathered in one place like we are this morning as the community of God or more explicitly maybe together in thought and understanding. I mean, together in, in our purpose and intentions as we will be together next Sunday for the ministry fair, right? And we're together in this intention of becoming the family of God and serving God and learning how to serve. And how can we participate and be a part of the wonderful thing that we call the family of God? How can we experience God in community? And so we'll be together in our dreaming and together in our purpose and together in our visions of what it means to be, you know, God's family. What is the commonplace of, of, of being a part of his plan to bring glory to the kingdom of God. And then what we see next, go back to the passage, and then what we see next, and this is key, we see a process by which the Spirit of God, a process by which the Spirit of God is developing the spirit of generosity in this early church. And in fact, part of unity, because you see they experienced the unity of what it means to be a part of the community of God and see part of unity is generosity. In fact, unity we find here in Acts is not stewardship, by the way, even though this is a stewardship series. Unity is lordship. That's what unity is about. It's about the lordship of, of Christ in our lives, of, of Christ or Jesus being the Lord of our lives. In fact, being the Lord of our lives in every possible area, in every possible way that we can imagine that, that, that there is this lordship because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I love the way Tony Evans uh, describes it. He says it this way. He says, hold things loosely. If not, it hurts when Jesus pries your fingers open. <laughs> And, and I mean, there's some truth to that. And so maybe the best thing for us in the stewardship series is, is, is to make sure it, it's really clear what tithing is. 
I mean, understanding the definition of what tithing is. In fact, what would you say tithing is? Just anybody. Somebody out loud. Let's just get some ideas. What is tithing? If you say, okay, this is tithing, what would you say tithing is? Somebody say something. Say it real loud. First fruits. Excellent. What's this? Giving back to the Lord. So tithing is first fruits. It's, it's giving back to the Lord. What else? Somebody back there. Okay, it's 10%. So tithing is first fruits. It's, it's giving back to the Lord. It's, it's 10%. But do you know that most people who struggle with tithing struggle with the concept of generosity? I mean, as we are trying to process the challenge that, that God gives us, really, and it's an opportunity for blessing. Because of what? The law of return. In fact, I want to mention that a little bit later. But, but generosity is not about tithing, by the way. It, it, it's the, it happens that tithing is the result of the spirit of generosity. And the more generous that we become, the easier it is it is to tithe to the Lord as God calls us. And in fact, we look at the rest of the past passage and the history of this early church. And what happens in this new church is, is nothing short of phenomenal. In fact, look at the passage there. Go to verse 45. Let's look at that together. We'll go to verse 45 and then looking at uh, actually down to 47. Beginning at verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. You see, a ministry of generosity becomes the extension of God's church meeting and praying and living out the word of God as that word becomes reality in us. I guess what I want to share this morning is two dynamics. One dynamic is that this early church discovered that the word or that the gospel brings life. This is this is in translation unlimited resolution for life. Unlimited resolution for life. Say that with me. Unlimited resolution for life. And that that giving to God is one way that we bless the Father who so has abundantly blessed us. In fact, remember Abram at the very beginning of the ministry. That God said, Abram, I will bless you and I will bless your family. And you will be blessed so that what? So that you can be a blessing to others. Again, this is a part of the law of return. As we understand... Unlimited resolution, meaning that we're blessed to be a blessing. So as we give to God, God gives us this opportunity to bless others. I I love uh, the story of a famous philanthropist who was once asked, how are you able to give so much and still have so much? Well, the generous man responded. He says, I just shovel it out and he shovels it in. The thing is, God has a bigger shovel than me, right? (laughs) And I love that because, you see, that is the promise of God. In fact, in Malachi, we read in Malachi, God says, test me in this and see not if I will blow open the floodgates of heaven and bless you so much that you won't have enough room for it as we are giving and honoring God in this way. So that's the first dynamic. What is the second dynamic if you're filling the notes? Here's number two. Generosity is the natural extension of faith. Did you know that? That generosity is that natural extension of faith. In fact, two weeks ago. I said, what would I say if somebody said, Pastor, what is faith? I wouldn't say, well, faith is this. I would say faith is an action. 
That faith is action. And this is the action part of our faith because we recognize that generosity, that's the idea, generosity is the natural extension of our faith and is that part of faith that is our action. So we, we take action because God has been so generous and been so, so much of a blessing to us that we want to bless God in return. And so we recognize in that that God is our provision. Here's the challenging part. Did you know that the opposite of generosity is selfishness? The opposite of generosity is selfishness. And I'm wondering, you know, how are we doing with that? I mean, I'm calling this the, the $6,000 sermon because, say, if a couple makes $1,250 every two weeks and both of them make twelve fifty every two weeks and there's a total of $5,000 a month. And so in 12 months, that's what, $60,000. And so 10% of that is what? That's $6,000. And so, again, I might be meddling a little bit, but the question is, how, how are we doing with that? Because the dynamic here is that, that the healthy church and the healthy family, the, the healthy individual is generous with what they have. And you see the Acts 2 church recognizes this, or the healthy church recognizes this. And we're not throwing this out as just a kind of a, a an idea, you know, or a measure of an idea. Folks, this is what the scripture teaches us, that it is the measure. That is the measure that, that God measures us by. And the fact, you see, it's 100% that belongs to God. I loved our video last week about the guy that got the donuts. Remember, he, he got the donuts. And he said, no, I don't want to share these. I want them all for me. And, and yet, we, we are tempted in that way. In fact, in Second Peter 3.11, it asks, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and service? I mean, think about the question for a moment. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and service? Meaning, you know, what does the Christian look like? I mean, how does the Christian behave, um, especially in this, you know, in this this area of, of ministry or really area of stewardship, since this is a stewardship series? What does it look like when the Christian is living life or living life out? In Luke chapter 8, verse 14, it points to the reality of how worries and riches can choke out the good intentions. As we read that passage, the seed which fell among the thorns, remember that? The seed which fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard as they go their way. They are choked with worries and riches and pleasures and life. And they bring no fruit of maturity. And so there's this maturity issue or the lack of maturity because of not understanding or embracing, you know, this, this part of, of what God calls us to in the area of stewardship. And maybe this is why Matthew 6.33 would resonate better with us when we, we read that passage. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things shall be added unto you. And all these other things shall then become yours as you're obedient in the call that God has given you. And so we become generous. Listen to this. We become generous. I mean, this is the bottom line. We become generous because we're putting God first. And when we are generous... Then we pay our tithes (laughs) and we're generous with the tithes that God has called us to. So here's the idea about the Acts Church. It's not about stewardship, even though this is a stewardship series. It's not about stewardship. It's about lordship. It's about Christ being the Lord of your life. I love one quote I came across. Here's the quote. God judges what we give by what we keep. God judges what we give by what we keep. I cannot tell you how many times my mom and dad 
put the effort in and, and took the time to teach me about giving to the Lord. How many times that I, I found a dollar and my dad said, you need to give 10 cents of that to the Lord. How many times I made a little bit of money because I did something on the side and pulled some weeds for some member at the church. And I was just a little guy and I always liked making money. But dad would say, you're going to give 10% of that to the Lord. And I think sometimes, you know, we've been really good at that, you know, training that and teaching that to our children. But I think also there are times or seasons that we're not that good at teaching and training the next generation that God has called us to this dynamic of stewardship. Yes, stewardship. We're using our gifts and talents. Amen. Next Sunday, ministry fair. Amen. And what a blessing to serve the Lord. But what a greater blessing to be free enough to give to the Lord. Because God is so abundantly given us, amen, everything. So I, 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 we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And I, I want to just bridge what I've been sharing with you, what I've been preaching about with, with communion today. And you're probably going to do a better job of it in your mind, bridging that in your own mind than I am going to articulate. But I want to invite you to just remember what Jesus has done for us as our servers come and prepare I'll invite the servers to come in place. But I want to invite you in your mind just to remember what Jesus did for you. How much Jesus gave for you. How much Jesus sacrificed for you. How much Jesus died for you when his body was pierced and his blood was shed. And then ask yourself, am I being fair to the Lord today? Am I being faithful in tithes and offerings? I believe God will bless you. As you do that, as you're faithful to him in tithes and offerings. I believe that God will honor that as he, he says to you, test me in this. Try this. You've maybe never done it before. And to tithe for the first time, if you've never tithed before, you're going to say, ouch. But I want to promise you something. I don't know if I should say this. There, there's been a few seasons, a few times as a pastor pastor is supposed to be perfect that I I was I was late on some of my tithing there were some months that I hadn't paid and so I had to write a catch a catch-up check but in that time the interesting thing is when I was late and I was not faithful those those few months a couple times in 30 years of ministry you know what happened our life was a chaos it was in chaos our budget wasn't being met Things were not good. But soon as I wrote that catch-up check and I began to be faithful in this area of stewardship, all of a sudden, you know, the budget began to work and we were able to make ends meet. And God's blessing was poured out upon us and life was better because I knew I was being obedient to the challenge that God has given us to give him 10% of what he's given us. Someone said, Pastor, I'm I'm proud of you for being brave and talking about giving, talking about tithing. And I really appreciate the comment. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. But why would I want to keep blessing from you? Why would I want to keep you from being blessed? I don't want to keep that from you. I want, I want you to be blessed in abundance. And so I need to say it. That if you give to the Lord, and it's not a, a health and wealth theology. That's not what I'm talking about at all. It's a giving because you love God. And he promises that he will take care of you. He will give you bounty. He will give you blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. Let's be obedient. Let's be obedient in tithes and offerings. And let this communion be a reminder of what he's done for you. And then let's do for him. Father, we thank you for 
Lord, loving us first. We thank you, Lord, for coming to us and desiring relationship with your creation. And so, Father, we respond to you today. We worship you. We love you. Thank you for hearing our voices. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen.